You're listening to Funnel Cake Podcast. Brain batter funneled into some sort of sweet, tangible thing. For consumption, come hither, you shy ones with your ice creams. Come glimpse behind the curtain. For one ticket and an hour, your whirlwind awaits. Welcome to Funnel Cake Podcast. It's Funnel Cake Friday, and today's freshly fried episode is all things carousels. The horses go round and around, satin sashed, eyes of fire. The horse you rode in on seems to pin lead. Time is on your side. These horses will know a thousand races, a thousand battles, or a thousand laughs. The history of carousels takes us all the way back to our very primitive human roots. As we look to each culture, I think it was born from a world of dance. We can see the Aztec dance, the dance of the flyers, or Danza de los Voladores, to spin, to go round, to go circular, in much a ceremonious fashion. And we can draw parallels at this inception of the ultra-primitive carousels when dancers don feathers, ribbons, and they're all tied to a central focus. We could call it the Axis Mundi, the world tree of a deity, something sacred, dancing around a campfire, sitting beside a hearth to tell the story. We see the Lakota with their sun dance or the pagan maple dance. And for some reason, I think human beings are just really drawn to have a central figure. It's social, it's meditative. It's complex. As a radial design, the carousel is one of the most iconic delights. It is a transition that does carry humanity from our days around the campfires. And no matter who and where in the world one had his or her foot in the soil, a flow around the earth, and it was tied to the heartbeat. That central pole, supporting beam, spirit tree, steeple, or hearth gave our eyes and trajectory something that took the focus from us and it put it toward the we. The time rose swift. It passed by. It became a pageantry in a play. It became theater. It teased toward the retelling of war. In these shows, the carousel tried to reenact the gallantry, the pageantry, the gruesome horrors at times. And the earliest carousels were just displays for thousands of people. They call them a garacelo or a carousela, and these mean little war. These are all lovely words for a display, a performance, and it's kind of similar to the object of polo. These fake horses and people pushing them on foot before an audience, sometimes trying to chase a ball around. They were very popular. It was sort of a bread and circuses, much like some of our sports today. Some of these events, though, initially were by invite only, and they were popular because they appealed to the groups for different reasons. To the survivors of wartime, the early veterans, the reenactments would have given them a revelry. It would have been a tribute to the things that they have endured, or what may have been. To the children witnessing these shows, it brought a light-hearted, excited, and inspiring example of how to live as a knight or a hero. 
women may have gazed with a mix of worry and enchantment. And about the impressing of women, the performers would ride in honor, the way of a joust, but for stagecraft. And this is really the start of the carousel. Carousels evolved through a number of stages. They went from hand-pushed turnstile roundabouts into the marvels of mechanics we see them as today. The height of them leaping forward with steam. We have to pause our motion. We have to sit with the fact that it was masters of so many different trades and crafts that came forward and together to bring the collective talents to this esteemed ride. And no amusement space feels complete without one on the circuit. The masters had gotten their starts in whitesmithing, carpentry, carving, painting, machinery, agriculture, clockworks, patents aplenty, sled carving, carriage carving, boat making, engineering, music. In the Renaissance times, it became very popular to begin an apprenticeship program. And this was across all boards of trade and craftsmanship. Often starting in childhood, a person would be introduced to a craft, encouraged toward one, or simply resume the family trade. They would spend their entire childhood doing minor tasks and working their way up as they proved their value and their worth. Although there wasn't an official level to receive the title of a master, it was often bestowed upon your peers. They would be the one to decide. Alright, you've learned enough, you know how to use all the tools, you're pretty much ready to go out on your own and make your own business and you don't need any further instruction. And so the carousels really were headed up by pretty much people at master level, again throughout all number of trades and crafts. One of the most renowned pioneers and fathers of the modern carousel was Frederick Savage, and he apprenticed at 10 years old to a machinist, whitesmith, and wheelwright. And a wheelwright was somebody who just made wooden wheels or repaired them. These apprenticeships was just very calming. He was much like other boys in that department, but he learned to make the wheels. He polished and finished metals. He would make fine components and he would fashion and fabricate tooling and implements. By the time he became a master, he launched his own livelihood and he was churning out agricultural machines. So that would really help make farm work a lot easier for people. And of course, this is in the era of steam and steam powered works. And through his work, he invented the upright steam engine that he called the May Queen. It was originally used in farming equipment. So this is back in 1868. Everything's a marvel at that time. Everything is really leaping forward. People are constantly amazed and delighted. They are borrowing other people's inventions. They are building upon them with the intention to make everything easier for humankind in the workplace usually to try to automate things as much as possible. So his steam engine, it found a much needed place on the fairground midway when it was used to run carousels and also power the sounds of the band organ that came from the rides. So he was the UK's leading carousel guy from that point on. He had a factory that would produce the gallopers. And this was in King's Lynn. He had several different businesses. It started off, I think, as Savage Brothers. It morphed into the St. Nicholas Ironworks. These were very prized carousels. 
Remnants of them today are sought after, very collectible. But a lot of his carousels were shipped to the U.S., so he had a pretty big influence on machinery of the time and most notably carousels. But we can also see that Thomas Bradshaw paralleled this exciting moment in innovation and invention, and he kind of did this a little bit before Savage did, at least as far as the timelines go. But he was over in France, and he was the French's carousel guy. He actually inspired Savage quite a bit, and many others, in using the steam-powered engines to power the makings of convenience and pleasure. This is largely the way it was then, for those who had the visions of how to dazzle the world and make their name known. The steam-powered engines helped make these horses go up and down, which was a brand new and exciting thing for a carousel. As I said before, they used to be human-powered, wooden horses pushed by children or servants, so for them to be automated. And people really enjoyed being able to go up and down and go a little faster and hear the music play. In the U.S., there was Henry B. Aki, who in 1908 applied with the U.S. Patent Office for the Aki Friction Clutch. This was put to use in carousels to start and stop them, and it revolutionized the ease and safety of use. Aki is the one who started the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, or as some people call it, Philadelphia Toboggan Coasters. There's a little back and forth about what PTC originally meant. But in 1904, he got together with Chester Albright. They made the company. They operated it out of Hatfield, Pennsylvania. They were obviously in deep with the roller coaster production. They had their hands in carousels too. They were making gates, ticket booths, coaster trains. Later on, after the war, they started making the skee-ball machine and other side amusements like Laughing Cell. In 1927, PTC scooped up the entirety of the Denzel Carousel Company's exquisitely carved gallopers and carousels, and they added it to their own stock. Denzel Carousels were started also in Pennsylvania by William and Gustave Denzel in 1867. There are close to 30 Denzel Carousels still operating today. The carved figures on these carousels are appreciated, they are valued, they are really highly sought after. Because not only were they so detailed and gallant looking in the wood, but also the color choices were very thoughtfully arranged by the artists. And if you look at them, the mane and tails have motion just carved into the strands. Their faces are set in really grueling dead heat of a real racehorse. They're often dappled and freehand painted. Each carousel company and manufacturer had a notable appearance that experts and enthusiasts can easily tell apart from one another. Whether it was the wooden gallopers or the aluminum, a muted paint scheme or a vibrant one, the companies made sure to stand out against the competition. To bring the focus back a little, we have mentioned PTC with Aki, Savage's works in the UK, and a few others like Denzel. But there was also Charles Luth, a master carver, another who began his craft apprenticeship in childhood. He was into woods and metals, as was his father Jürgen, who was a wagon maker and a blacksmith. Charles had his first carousel over at Coney in 1878, but before that he was putting poetry to wood furniture with his scrolls and flourishes by his own hand. His carousels are amongst my personal favorites. He created 50 carousels, 10 of them are still intact today. He was dedicated to the life 
and surrounding joy of amusements, and he spent his last days at the Long Beach Pier. He would fall asleep to the sounds of good cheer and radical organ music in the night. His signature move was to put a little marking of his pet monkey that he had, and he would sometimes hide that in, into the saddle of one of the horses. But another big name was Herschel. And in fact, we can thank Herschel Carousel Factory Museum in New York for so much research and for maintaining so many remnants of carousels of the years gone by. But they were also a carousel manufacturer. It was started by Alan Herschel. He was initially with Armitage Herschel Company in 1873. Then in 1901, he paired up with Herschel Spillman Company. But Herschel Company is considered the biggest because they helped traveling shows bring carousels with them on the road. They just made it really easy for the shows to set up and tear them down and move them. Half of the existing wood carousels that were carved came from Herschel. There is 148 wooden carousels. 71 of them are from Herschel. The painting and carving is really what draws a lot of people to these beautiful rides. They're a work of art. Names of the time for carving were John Zalar, Leo Zoller, Daniel Carl Muller, Frank Coretta, and more. These people often worked under the big carousel companies. But a lot of the carousel carvers and master carvers got their start working with each other and for each other. And sometimes they would take off and make their own company. And a lot of times the masters did the heads of the animals and they did the outside animals, the ones that would be seen by everybody while leaving staff and team and apprentices to carve and paint the rest of the animals and gallopers. Those would be the inside role. So the outside of the horses is usually called the romantic side. And they call it that because they're just really ornate. Sometimes they have jewels and they're just stunners on the circuit. While I was doing a lot of research for this episode, I came across an absolute expert and artist and restorer. Her name is Rosa Patton. So I got to listen to her a little bit and. I'd highly recommend if you happen to need some restoration work on a course that you've acquired that you consult Rosa Patton on her website. But she speaks to the depth of the artistry of the carousel, and she works in documenting, painting, and doing the restoration on the incredible ponies. She has to take a complete archive of the projects that she does. She has to do that for historical record keeping for each endeavor. To do this, she consults the Munsell Notations Book of Color. In that book, she's able to find every color through history, and she has to take swatches. She finds with each layer of paint that she removes, a lot of surprises. She has to be very careful when she does this too. So each time she removes a layer of paint, before she does that, she has to do a tracing of the original design, take paint chips, match them to other color samples, and basically create a whole catalog that she keeps with the years. And that's before she repaints any of the horses. And also different eras had different historical palettes that they would have used. Some would have been very vibrant or muted, but she is usually spending a couple of weeks just to collect the samples. So that's what makes her such an expert. She also has to be very careful because a lot of the paints from back then were dangerous. They were made of mercury, lead, arsenic. So she's using, of course, gloves and a lot of protection. 
Carousel gallopers were often painted to look like real horse breeds, and she tries her best to match that when she begins to repaint one. Carousel can't be complete without the music. Carousel music got its start with the calliope. The calliope was a steam-driven instrument. It was initially used to draw crowds to the circus or a traveling show or the carnival. It was pretty loud, can be heard from miles away, and it blows steam through the whistles. The organ's keyboard sets off the steam into the pipes for any given sound. This was another early invention along the same era that Savage was doing his upright steam engine. So the calliope was coming out just about a decade prior to that. It was invented by A.S. Denny, but it was patented by Joshua Stoddard five years later. Some people call it the band organ. It's pretty loud. It's between 100 and 104 decibels. It was later followed by the name brand Wurlitzer, which was also a band organ, but it could also be much bigger, usually made as a theater organ or the automatic piano. Wurlitzers were pretty rare and still are. Only 2,143 of them were produced. They didn't have a very long run, so they were made from 1910 to 1943. Great Depression hit the company pretty hard and nearly took them out. Later on, the demand just died off for the band organ. There's still collectors of them today. They're worth quite a bit of money if you can get one. The Orpheum's Wurlitzer, that's the only one that's still in place where it was originally installed. But we would see calliopes and Wurlitzers on the carousel. And we should also thank the Herschel Carousel Museum again, because they have the biggest collection of music roles for the Wurlitzer and for other hand-punched master roles. They have 1,600 of them there. Music did play a huge role in it. It also inspired the wonderful musical Carousel by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's one of my favorite movies and musicals, and it's such a fun early comedy. And it's just a really beautiful musical. As with all rights, they take on their own form. There's many components. You have to have them stable. Today's carousels rate off 10 horsepower electric motor. They weigh 10 tons and they go about 10 miles per an hour. So that's kind of our magic number for the carousel. But to have a carousel, you have to have a platform. You have to have a pole. And of course, our gallopers, horses, or other animals. And those would be considered a menagerie carousel. So the menagerie carousels are rare. They comprise about 20% of all carousels. Those would include all sorts of different animals or mythical creatures. So they were initially operated with the steam-powered engine. And that helped the horses go up and down, helped make the music. There's a lot of other components. So we've got the pole. We've got the sweeps, those are the outward ribs, and they have crank rods on them. They hold the horses and help suspend them, help make them go up and down. The electric motors now, they operate the smaller pulleys, and then that operates the clutch to another pulley, to the drive belt, then to the gear shafts, and all of this helps turn the platform around, helps make the horses go up and down, helps the music play. The components wouldn't be complete without the brightly colored, beautiful rounding board or the cresting around the top part of the carousel, often ornately carved too. The first known carousel in the U.S. was from 1799 in Salem, Massachusetts. The oldest surviving one that you can still ride today 
is over in Massachusetts also, in Oak Bluffs, called The Flying Horses, and that's built in 1876. The oldest one in the world surviving is over in Germany from 1780. The fastest carousel is in Eldridge Park, New York. The biggest carousel is at House on the Rock in Wisconsin. It has 269 animals, 182 chandeliers, and 20,000 lights. Most expensive and tallest are the pair of sister carousels called the Columbia, one in Santa Clara, the other in Gurney. They are very tall. They're double-deckers. They cost a million dollars. They're 100 feet and 101 feet. They are in the Guinness Book of World Records. But also, we have to say that carousels take the cake for being the deadliest or most dangerous ride. We know that, on average, 4,400 kids are hurt a year on rides, but 21% of those injuries alone come from carousels. They might look a little innocent and slow, but they actually have caused lots of injuries. Today, at Christie's and Sotheby's auction houses, a carousel horse might go from anywhere from $1,000 to $160,000. The Denzel St. Bernard fetched $250,000. There's a lot of weird stories with carousels, lots of memories we all have, and you either love them and enjoy them and can appreciate their beauty and craftsmanship, or you think they're kind of boring and old-timey, and that kind of leads us into the future of carousels. Would animals on the carousels stopped being made altogether from the 1930s into 1994? And only 10 new wooden ones have been made in the last 60 years. So it seems to me that the demand has died off a lot, and I fear that the future is pretty bleak for them as interest in nostalgic rise dies down. I think it'll take enthusiasts to keep that alive and to keep them maintained. They might not be around forever. But I hope that you can find a carousel over the summer at one of your local fairs, or go to a big theme park and hop on one. I'll keep them alive for future generations. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I want to leave with this beautiful quote from a book that I highly recommend reading. It's called Carney by Les Bodner, A Carnival Life Before and After the Great Depression, a story of street smarts and innocence that will never return. It's strange that I can remember one of the earliest memories of my youth. The light box filled with excelsior was probably about three by five feet and three deep. The Excelsior were wood curly Q shavings, and it was the soft material before the days of styrofoam and bubble wrap were used for stirring the hundreds of light bulbs, illuminating the inner and outer panels of the merry-go-round. The box had been placed near the gasoline engine, which powered the rye, giving off heat, and it made a cozy spot for me. It was dizzying to look up and see the wooden horses and lights whirling around above me while the organ rasped out its melody with the occasional wheeze when a valve failed, accompanied by the cymbals and drum at each end of the massive organ. As I lay there in my lightbox crib, about to go to sleep, I heard voices near me. Slim, who ran the merry-go-round, was to keep an eye on me. Slim had been standing next to my crib when he threw in the clutch to start the ride. He gradually increased the tempo to the usual and timely gallop until his horses were prancing along at a merry but safe pace. 
Thank you for joining me today, and we'll be with you next Funnel Cake Friday. Thank you for listening to the Funnel Cake Podcast. Please subscribe for freshly fried episodes and download on Apple, Podbean, and Spotify.